Yeah. Man, isn't, isn't that incredible? You are such a generous, generous church, and we wanted to show that to you for those of you that served, but maybe you didn't serve, but you had given, or maybe you didn't do either, and you're new to our church, and you're just kind of checking out what is this church about. We have a phrase around here that says, we live life on mission, and it's twofold. We have a mission in the sense that we want to mobilize the people of our church to go out and make a difference in the communities. And then also we want our communities to have the sense that, man, you know, if that church went away, our community would really suffer. And so our goal is to live life on mission for the sake of mobilizing you and then for the benefit of our communities. And this is one of the events that we've been doing for years, but we have the opportunity now to actually lead this. Um, It's an organization that's been around for a while, but now we as a church are leading it, pulling together a lot of churches. And it was the first time it was in three locations like this. And so it was really, really amazing. And we wanted to celebrate with you. Again, you saw the numbers there. That is just so incredible. And we wanted to celebrate and say thank you. Thank you for being such an amazing, generous church. Now, as always, we're going to pray before we jump into the message. So would you pray with me? Father, thank you for just the amazing opportunity it always is to gather. And we gather for the sake of glorifying you. And then being encouraged so then we can go out and scatter and live life on mission. It's, it's like how we breathe in and breathe out. God, this is a collective time for us to breathe in. Breathe in the truth of your word. And then leave here and breathe out and be a blessing to our world. And so God, as we take this opportunity now to open your word, we ask you to speak to us. God, we know that without your spirit, God, we can't see, we can't hear, we can't understand. So we ask you to fill us now so that we can see, we can hear, we can understand. God, I ask you to help me because without you, God, I can't communicate this in a way that honors you. So would you help me to do that? And then also communicate it in a way that is helpful to all of us. Because the most amazing thing about this, God, is this, we get help, you get honor. And so we ask for you to bless it now in Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you've been with us uh, for a little while, we've been preaching through the gospel according to John. It's the fourth gospel in your Bible. But if you haven't been with us or you're new, we've been preaching through this and now we're at chapter 14. And this is one of the, the, one of my favorite gospels. In fact, especially if you're new to faith, the gospel according to John is one of the best places to start because it really lays down some foundational truths ultimately about who Jesus is. And this is one of those messages that, again, I mean, they're all foundational, but I'm a preacher, so I gotta say it's foundational, right? But this is one of those messages that really is foundational because this verse that we're gonna see highlight one verse, particularly this week, John 14, 6, it's one of my most favorite verses, but if you can get this verse, you can really get the storyline of the whole Bible, If you can understand this one verse and you can understand the message of the Bible. And so that's why this is a great weekend that you're here and we want to help you understand this. And again, we've been preaching through this book and so I'm gonna reference some things 
that we've talked about, because uh, last week we got into John 14 in the verses uh, one through four, and now we're just picking up in five, five through seven, and they kind of build on each other, but I'll help you in case you weren't here, but if you were here, I know that you need a reminder anyway, so we'll all be on the same page, all right? So John chapter 14, we're gonna go to verse five and six, and then we're gonna stop and chat about it. It says, Thomas, one of the disciples, said to him, that's Jesus, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Verse six, this is the verse. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, if you know anything about the Bible, you've probably heard about Thomas before. He has an adjective that goes along with his name which has now just been passed down throughout church history. Anybody know what we put before the name Thomas? Daddy, you know, all right. He might be a friend of yours because you understand him, all right? And it, primarily that comes out of chapter 20, which we'll get to that in a while, you know, months and months from now. But in chapter 20, after Jesus raises from the dead, Thomas is the guy that says, if, if I don't see the holes in his hand and the side, you know, the, the, hole, the piercing in his side, I won't believe him. Now, what's interesting is, and I was just reading back through it today, Jesus knew that Thomas said that, even though Jesus wasn't around when Thomas says that. And then a few days later, Jesus shows up and he says to Thomas, hey, check them out, they're real. But it's interesting to me that we have plastered this adjective onto Thomas's name throughout church history now. He is now known as Doubting Thomas. And I gotta wonder if he's up in heaven like, guys, why did y'all give me that name? I wasn't really doubting in the sense of like, I just had to see it to believe it. I mean, that's understandable because let's be honest, most time you don't see dead people. So I, I don't have a problem with Thomas and I don't think Jesus had a problem because he came and showed it to him saying, unless I see those you know, man-made marks on him, unless I see those, I won't believe it was actually him because I don't know if you guys know this, but people don't normally come back from the dead. And y'all saying he's back, but that might be a ghost, that might be a play act, I don't know. But now we've prescribed this phrase to him, doubting Thomas, and, and I gotta be honest with you, I just don't think it's quite accurate because if we're honest, a lot of times, we are in his shoes, and we just simply have questions. And this is one of those instances where Thomas just asks a question. He's just a thinker, that's all it is. Now he might be overthinking it, but to prescribe him this adjective of doubting, I just, I mean, the Bible doesn't call him that, we called him that. And I don't know about you, but I don't wanna be known by my worst days. Like you want that adjective walking around with you forever? And again, I think Thomas gets a bad rap is what I'm saying here is because he just simply asked a question. Because prior to this, again, we hit this last week. If you weren't here, you can go watch that. Prior to this, in verse four, Jesus says to his disciples, you know the way to where I'm going. You know the way to where. And Thomas just speaks up. And you gotta know the other dudes were probably thinking it, but Thomas was the only one brave enough to say it. Which is, again, why I don't like that. Maybe we should call him Courageous Thomas. He was willing to speak up. Or maybe the rest of the group would be like, bro, Thomas, come on, man. Maybe they would call him Annoying Thomas. I don't know. But I got love for my boy Thomas because I'm a question asker. 
I ask questions. I need to know why. I remember, and I've said this many times, you've been around our church, I'm the youngest of three, and so we would, I would always be asking questions. Mom, why this? Why that? Why this? And I would annoy my mother to death. We would literally be watching a movie together for the first time, and I'm asking her questions about what is going on, and she would always turn to me and say, Jason, I don't know, I'm watching this with you. Let me watch it, and I'll answer your questions. So he's asking a question based upon a statement that Jesus made where he said, you know the way to where, and Thomas very simply says, if we don't know where, how can we know the way? Fair question, right? I mean, I don't know how much you travel or how much you drive, but just living here in Metro Atlanta, we gotta have maps that route us to get us to where we wanna go. Because the way to where we wanna go is probably packed with other people called traffic. Right? I mean, we got apps now that reroute us to get us where we want to go, and we even call them ways. But I don't know how long you've been alive, but there was a day and time where we didn't have that. We had to buy these things called maps. It's crazy. I'll never forget one time I flew to California, I landed at LAX, and the first thing I did is I went to a gas station and bought a map. And I asked the gas station attendant where something was. Back then, you had to be better at just selling lottery tickets. You had to know directions, right? And, and, and those maps, if you ever were alive then, if you weren't, then you're just highly blessed, all right? But after you unfolded them, you never got them back together, <laughs> ever. And if you were really wealthy, you might get one that had been laminated. That was the best kind, because you're like, oh, I can fold this sucker, I mean, it was like instructions to a vacuum cleaner. You ain't never getting that sucker back together. And then, after Al Gore invented the internet, <laughs> we got excited because we could go to this thing called MapQuest. Yeah, y'all with me? And I'll never forget, then before I would travel, what I would do is I would put in directions from the airport or the hotel to the place I needed to go, and I would print them out. Turn by turn, baby. It was great. And then we got these phones that could do it all for us. And now we can even select the language to which they speak to us in. It's amazing. But what I'm getting at here is let's give our boy some props. He's just asking a basic question. Listen, if I don't know where, I can't know the way. Because the destination determines the route, we get that. Because if the destination is the UK, I'm not taking a car. So, so Thomas is just asking a simple question based upon a statement that Jesus made. He said, I don't know where, so how can I know the way? And then again, watch Jesus's response. He doesn't chastise him. He doesn't, you're such a doubter. I don't even know why I chose you. No, what does he say? He answers the question. Which again, I don't think it's wrong to ask God questions if you really want the answer. Now, you gotta be here next week. Another guy's gonna speak up named Philip and Jesus does get annoyed with him. But do you notice we didn't attach any adjective to Philip's name? Like pestilent Philip? I think we should do that. 
I'm going to write some church and say, let's quit calling him Dowdy Thomas. Let's give Philip an annoying nickname because he's the one that ticked off Jesus, not Thomas. We'll get into that next week, all right? Be great parental advice. You should be here. But Jesus gives him an answer. And again, I already told you that verse six, I think, is one of the greatest, not only greatest verses in the Bible, one of the greatest lines that has ever been uttered in human history, if not the greatest. Because Jesus says something here that is so profound, so life-altering, and honestly, so ridiculous that it either has to be true or you have to throw it out. And, and watch it, you have to throw him out because you don't say stuff like this unless you're God or you're crazy. Because here's what he said. He said, Thomas, I am the way. Watch this, not I know the way, I am. Thomas, and then he says another word that Thomas didn't ask, I am the truth, and I am the life. See, here's what makes Jesus' statement so profound and so ridiculous. He is not claiming to be speaking truth. He's not claiming to just know the way. He's not claiming to just offer life. He is claiming possession of those things. He is those things. See, it's interesting because he uses the phrase here, I am. Now, again, and I say this often, we talked about it last week, that Jesus is talking here. Obviously, Jesus is Jewish, and so he's using Jewish understanding. We talked last week about how he was referencing a Jewish wedding. Well, this week... He's picking up on something that every Jewish person would have perked their ears up when this word was uttered, the word I am. Because back when God came to Moses to lead his people out in the Exodus, God told Moses to go do something and Moses said back to God, God, who should I tell him has sent me? And God says, tell him I am sent you. And Moses is like, okay, you are what? And he's like, yes. What God was saying there is, Moses, you need to understand something. I'm not, I am something. I am. Which means all the somethings get their something from my something. I am the essence of being. I am being. See, we have a name for ourselves. We are called human beings. And the ontological question, if you get into this type of stuff, is the essence of being. Where do we come from? Who are we? What is it to be us? What God is saying, ontologically speaking, no one gave him his being. He has always been. And this is where you get into apologetics and say, how do we get here? Apologetically speaking, here's what we believe. Life comes from life because life cannot come from non-life. Non-life cannot produce life. Only things that are alive can produce living things. So the argument that we believe is that God has always been here. And this is when you try to have a conversation with your children. They're like, where did God come from? Nowhere. Well, who made him? No one. 
He's always been here. And it blows the fuses in our brains, and it's intended to. It's like when we look out into the stars. Everybody's convinced that there must be aliens. And I'm like, no, there's not aliens. It's not like that stuff was hard for God to make. He just said, let it be, and there it was. And now we have this telescope that can see further into deep space than we've ever seen before, and people are amazed by everything that's out there. I'm like, yeah, because everything that's out there got its being from our being. And what I mean, our being is our supernatural being, God. See, Jesus isn't claiming to just be something. He is claiming to be the essence of what it means to be. He is being. You don't have to put any adjective in front of him. And when Jesus said this, this is where we have to understand. No one has ever talked like this before. And we consider to be a good man or a good woman. Because see, you're either a lunatic, as C.S. Lewis said it. He's either a liar, he's lying to us, he's a lunatic, or he's the Lord. That's it. So the people that, that say that, you know, he was a good man, but I don't believe he's God, they haven't actually studied what he said. They just like that he kissed babies and, you know, and had animals around. You know, he's like Mr. Rogers. That's like my, you know, they kind of, you know, like Ricky Bobby. I just like my eight pound, six ounce baby Jesus, right? I just like my little, sincere, innocent Jesus. No. So you need to understand something. No religious teacher ever talked like this. Because Jesus isn't just a religious teacher. He's God. And I encourage you to study this. I don't know if you're new to our church, but I want you to understand something. We never ask you to check your brain at the door. We believe what we believe because it is true, not because grandmama told us it was true. And we want you to study it. And we're not afraid if you study it. Go look at Muhammad, one of the other major world religions. He was considered a prophet. He spoke what he thought was true, but he never claimed to be God. And he never claimed to be truth. Jesus did. Let me give you a couple quotes here. First one by Thomas Akempis, famous theologian, lived in the 13 to 1400s. Here's him explaining what Jesus said in first person. I am the way and the truth and the life. Without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. Without the life, there is no living. I am the way which thou must follow, the truth which thou must believe, the life for which thou must hope. I am the inviolable way, the infallible truth, and the never-ending life. See, Jesus is claiming, watch this, not to know those things, but be those things. That's different. That's different. So this statement of Jesus is life-altering because here's what he's saying. If you know me, you'll know these things. If you know me, you'll know the way. If you know me, you'll know the truth. And if you know me, you'll know the life. He is claiming, rightfully so. You say, well, how can we believe him? because he's the only other religious teacher that came back from the dead too and is alive now. 
And history proves that, not just the Bible. So if you know him, watch this, he is those things. So if you know him, you can have those things. This is why Jesus is utterly different. Now, there's one thing in particular that I want to focus on. I'm going to spend the rest of our time together with is this concept that Jesus says he's the truth. Because I've said this before, if you've been around, I, I, I like to think visually. And so I'm, I'm kind of thinking about, okay, why did Jesus use these words? Why did he explain it like this? And here's the way I, I like to think about it. All of us want life, right? That's what we want. Unless you're a sadist and you want death and you got problems anyway. But we want life. All of us want to live. You want to know why everybody went crazy during COVID and started ravaging stores? Because they want to live. And no one knows how to grow anything anymore. We just know how to buy things. And so we got scared. And so we rushed on Publix. Why we bought toilet paper? I have no idea. But it just shows you our desperation that you don't know how to use a water hose or some leaves. All right. I'm just saying. God help us all. All any country has to do to shut us down is just close down the toilet paper plants. We are done. We all want life. That's just fundamental. But here's what I think Jesus says. You want life? The way to life, watch this, is through the truth. The way to life is through the truth. So what I want to talk about is truth. And the reason why I want to talk about it is if you were here last week, the main point of the message last week was that trust is the foundation of a relationship. And we talked about what a relationship looks like if there is a lack of trust. All these things that we, the Bible calls troubled. We have such a troubledness if there's a lack of trust in our relationships, which again, you understand this if you've been in human relationships before. If there's a lack of trust between you and your spouse, it's going to cause all kinds of trouble. So you can go back and listen to that last week. We talked about trust, but here's the point I want to make this week. In fact, if you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. If trust is the foundation of a relationship, then truth is the foundation of trust. We say that again, and I'll explain it. If trust is the foundation of a relationship, and it is, then truth is the foundation of trust. Here's what I mean. Again, in a human relationship or any relationship, if there's a lack of trust, it's a broken relationship. Now, why is there a lack of trust? Because there's a lack of truth. So if you want to have a broken relationship, keep lying to yourself and everybody else around you. Just keep lying. And, and do this weird thing that we call them white lies because we don't want to hurt their feelings. Right? See, we live in a culture now, and this is what's super weird. We live in a culture now a lot of people like to describe that we're in a post-Christian culture, and that's true. I'm not saying we're not. And Europe is almost always years ahead of us, and they've been post-Christian for a while. I mean, it really started falling apart after World War II. But we do live in a post-Christian culture, and what that means simply is Christianity is not the dominant cultural stream anymore. Before... The church was upstream from culture. What that means is the church was influencing culture. 
Now it has flipped to where the church is downstream from culture, and now the main cultural stream is not a Christian worldview anymore. So yes, we are post-Christian, but let me take it a step further. If Jesus just said, and he did, that he is truth, and we're post-Christian, then here's invariably what that means. We are now a post-truth culture. See, we're not just post-Christian. We're post-truth to where we live in a world now where it says, well, that might be true for you, but that's not true for me. And the concept now is not that truth is discovered, but it is created, which is really a crazy thing because we can't live in a post-truth world. I mean, let's just take gravity for example. Is that true or not true? Walk off a ledge and find out. A, a relatively short one. Things are true whether we like them or not, whether they hurt our feelings or not. I, I discovered this when I moved here to Georgia almost 12 years ago now. I'm originally from Texas, came here to pastor this church, and I was getting to know the lay of the land, where speed traps and speed limits and all that kind of stuff are. I'll never forget our, our offices used to be in Holly Springs. And I was in Holly Springs and Holly Springs is a place, you know, has its own separate law enforcement department, but it's not, you know, it's still part of Canton. And I was going through there one time and it, and it you know, speed limits change pretty quickly when you get into different municipalities. But I was coming out of our office one time and there was a stop sign. And there was this one, it was kind of on a hill and I was in a standard truck, you know, and so I don't like stopping on a hill. So I came to a yield at the stop sign. And literally within 30 seconds, I'm out onto the road and I see the lights flashing. Police officer pulls me over, told me, you know, you didn't stop. And this is what I said. I said, officer, I'm new. I'm from Texas. I'm still kind of figuring things out. And this is what he said. I've never forgotten it. He said, sir, stop signs look the same everywhere. <laughs> Dad, government, you're right. <laughs> now, I didn't get into a philosophical argument that said something like this. Well, officer, does stop really mean stop? Does it? Doesn't it mean slow down? You know, and I didn't, but if I would have, he would have just said, here's your ticket. You got to appear by this court date and moved on. Why? Because he's on the side of truth. But we live in a culture now to where it's like, well, does stop really mean stop? Does woman really mean woman? We just live in a culture that is post-truth and we're asking, well, why is that true? Or what does that word mean? And what we have to understand is when it comes to being or when it comes to truth, only God gets to decide what that is because he's the essence of it. Things are true because God made them true. Gravity is true whether you like it or not because God made the world with gravity. And thank God he did because we'd all float off into space if he didn't. And isn't it amazing how gravity grounds you? Truth grounds you. Let me give you another quote by 
theologian who's still alive today, one of my favorites, he said this, describing what Jesus said. Again, it's written in the first person. It's written like a poem. So it could say, Jesus is saying, I am the truth of God. I do not claim I merely speak the truth as though I were a prophet, but no more. A channel stirred by spirit power or purely human frame. Nor do I say that when I take this name upon my lips, my teaching cannot err, though that is true. A mere interpreter I'm not, some prophet voice of special frame. The claim to speak the, true, the truth, good men applaud. I claim much more, I am the truth of God. See, Jesus didn't just claim to speak the truth. That's what Muhammad claimed. Jesus claimed to be the truth, far different. He didn't just claim to speak it. He claimed to be it. And so truth, by definition, is not just something to know. It's someone to know. And what we have to understand in this post-truth world is the devil will always attack God's word. I've said this before. He didn't show up and attack the, uh, the Adam and Eve in the garden until there was a marriage and God had given them commands. And then what did he say when he came in? Is that really what he said? So the attacks are always on God's word. And so you could say it like, like this. The attacks are always on truth. And no one wants to live in a post-truth world. Because if my truth says I can punch your mama in the face, then what can you say if I think it's true and you don't? You see how that doesn't work? It doesn't work. But the problem is we don't apply this to every inch of life because the reason why we create, create truth is because we want to live the way we want to live. But here's what I'm trying to get you to see. That's actually slavery. That's slavery. When you are living, watch this, by what someone else claims is true. Hitler claimed his own truth. And that's slavery. But when we understand that truth is not something we create, it's something we discover, Jesus said it like this in John 8, 32. If you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Let me go one other place, John 17. And I'm just gonna hit this because I'm gonna teach this in a few months. But John 17, Jesus, same guy, in his prayer to the Father said this, verses 14 through 19, I have it here on the screen. He said, I have given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them safe from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Now understand something. When you take a stand for truth, the world will hate you. Let me go a step further and please understand what I'm saying and what I'm not saying. The world will even start to call truth hate speech. Now, that does not give us a right to be hateful. There's a difference. The Bible does say, speak the truth in love. But when we start calling truth hatefulness, we're only simply fulfilling what Jesus said they would do. And we as Christians are simply not prepared for a world like that. 
which is why we're struggling. Verse 17, Jesus said, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, watch this, that they also may be sanctified in truth. Now that phrase sanctified is just another way of saying made holy or made right or righteous. But what's interesting is the word in there, it's a preposition. You know, I love prepositions. You've been around here. It can mean in or it can mean by. And I think, even though I love the ESV translation, I think they missed it on this one because I think a better word to translate there is by, not in, because literally the preposition means by means of. Watch this, the way. The way I'm sanctified or made right, or watch this, have life is by the truth. It's almost like the same God is speaking here. It's by the truth. So the truth is not just necessary to have human flourishing. It is necessary for me to be made right. Why? Because the lie has never made anyone better. You realize that, don't you? Keep lying to yourself. No one has lied more to you than you. You realize that, right? But lies is not love. I've said this before. If I say I love someone and I'm lying to them, I don't love them. Because lies is not love. Live is not help. Lies are slavery. Truth is freedom. Now again, I should say it in a loving way when she asks if that dress looks good on her. Or does it make her look, I don't have to fill it in. You understand. Truth is the means by which we are made whole. So is it any wonder that we are facing a world in which it no longer believes what is truth? Because the devil is a liar, and he is the father of lies, and he wants nothing more than to create chaos. But the good news for us is, if we believe Jesus, we have the truth, and we can be made right with God and with ourselves and with others. So as believers, we have to understand something. Not only do we need the truth, but we will be attacked for saying the truth. And one of my jobs as a pastor is to prepare you for the world out there. And we as believers need to understand that an attack on any truth is an attack on God. Because for far too long, we felt like, oh, that's a political issue, not a biblical one. Oh, that's a political thing, not a biblical one. And what I've realized over the last several years is the reason why it's become a political issue is because we quit making it a biblical one. And so truth has to be the foundation of trust or else we can't be in relationship with anyone. 
So Jesus says this last thing in John 14, seven. He says, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. I love this. Jesus said, if you had known him, you'd know me. So there was a point where you didn't know, but now you do know. Here's what I think Jesus is saying. Let me, let me give you my commentary on this. I think Jesus is saying is there's a difference between ignorance and stupidity. You realize that, right? The difference between ignorance and stupidity is this. Ignorance is I didn't know. I didn't know. You can think about it like this. Babies are ignorant. Young children are ignorant. They didn't know that the stove was hot. They didn't know that if they put their hand over the flame, it would burn them. Like my six-year-old son, when I told him, don't touch the fire, it's gonna burn you, and he kept trying to touch it. And so I'm like, all right, sucker, you, you're ignorant right now, I'm gonna educate you. I'm gonna let you touch it. And he did this, he put his hand over the flame and gave me a big old smile. And then it turned into a blood-curdling scream. He ain't ignorant no more. See, ignorant is I don't know. But stupidity is I know, yet I do it anyway. Now listen, I love teenagers, but children are ignorant. Teenagers are stupid. <laughs> I got some. I was one. I went to mission camp with them. It confirmed it. Now, teenagers, don't hear me saying, I'm not calling you out. I'm just saying. Because what I have found dealing with adults now, adults are more stupid. Because stupidity is, I know the truth, but I reject it. I knew the S-T-O-P said, stop. And it was red, it wasn't green. I know that, but I was stupid. And the reason why I'm stressing this today is there may have been some of you here that came in today and you were just simply ignorant. You didn't know that Jesus was these things. And like Hugh Jackman saying in The Greatest Showman, from now on, I'm not gonna sing it for me because I can't sing. But from now on, you can know the truth and you can be saved because God has opened your eyes to see the truth about who he is. You were ignorant, now you're not. And you can trust him. But there's a lot of us in here and I love you, but we're stupid. We keep acting like there's not truth. We keep celebrating things that are lies because we don't realize this is a battle for God. This is a battle for the heart of your teenagers. This is a battle for the heart of your home. If you're gonna build it on truth or if you're gonna accept the world's definitions of terms. So it's high time church, we better wake up and quit being stupid. Because it is only the truth 
that we are sanctified by and set free to have life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, who is Jesus, who is the way, who is truth, who is life. No one was saved from the disease of cancer for acting like it didn't exist or lying about its effects. And in the same way, Father, no one is saved from sin by lying about its effects or acting like it's not real. And God, I understand that what I'm saying is perceived to be offensive or hateful. But God, I ask you by the power of your spirit to translate this to a human heart that has been questioning like Thomas. That you would speak into the darkness and give the light of truth because you want them to be set free. No one looking around or talking here as we close. If you've never trusted the truth, if you've never trusted Jesus, I told you truth, trust is the foundation of relationship and truth is the foundation of trust. And the reason why you can trust him because he's truth, he never lied to you. So if you wanna trust him today because he is the truth and you can pray with me, you don't have to do it out loud, but you can pray with me. It goes like this, say, Father, thank you for loving me that you sent Jesus to take on my lies, to take on my sin. And I ask you to forgive me, to save me. I believe Jesus is the truth, so I'm trusting him alone. Thank you for loving me. If you're in one of our locations and you just prayed that with me, would you just simply lift your hand up so we can see you? We got men and women gonna walk around, put a gift in your hand, and when they do, you can put it down. Thank you. But then those of us who have trusted Jesus, I understand messages like this are challenging. It's challenging to me. But if the Spirit of God is leading you to some areas in your life where you have believed lies, then replace it with truth. The truth is you were created in the image of God. The truth is sin destroyed that image. But Jesus took on what destroyed you. The truth is that his word is truth. So what part of his words have you not been believing as true, which has affected your trust? Father, I pray, thank you for those that were ignorant and now are not. But God, those of us who are so dumb sometimes, because we know the truth, but we just reject it because our heart is evil. God, I pray that you would help us. You would lead us into the truth. You would surround us with people who tell us the truth because we want life. And we thank you for your word because it is truth.
In Jesus' name, amen.